Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Welcome to the Wellstar Chamber Luncheon, our very first virtual lunch. Kind of a dirty trick to invite you to lunch, tell you to bring your own sandwich, your own table. I would just encourage you to tip heavily. Thank you. I'm Alan Najar, and it's my pleasure to serve as this year's chairman of the board for your Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. We appreciate you joining us on the Zoom call this morning, and here are a few housekeeping guidelines for today. First, everybody has been muted upon your entry to the call. So please keep your microphone on mute so we can avoid any background noise. Secondly, questions have been submitted in advance for Dr. Looney, and we will address those questions at the end of the presentation and get in as many as time will allow. But before we introduce our distinguished keynote speaker, I would like to thank our luncheon series naming sponsor, Wellstar Health Systems, one of Georgia's largest and most integrated health systems with a hospital, a new health park, and medical offices all across North Fulton. They are a excellent chamber member and have been a supporter of this chamber for many years. John Paul Croom is the president of Wellstar North Fulton, which is a 202-bed hospital located in Roswell. Wellstar North Fulton is one of Georgia's only level two trauma centers and delivers services, including cardiovascular, women's health services, pain and spine, wound care and hyperbarics, and inpatient rehabilitation. North Fulton is a primary stroke center and also an accredited chest pain center. So John Paul, thank you for sponsoring today's luncheon. And in addition to Roll Tide Roll, give us a few words about Wellstar. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully we'll see some football in the fall. That's the most important thing. Thank you, Alan. yeah, we uh, th- thank you for uh, the opportunity to sponsor this this virtual virtual luncheon. Um, I'm, I'm thinking right now that I should have brought a, a sandwich uh, because I <laughs> my my server is not going to get a big tip right now. Um, the uh, we we uh, I think one of the big questions is you know what's going on with COVID nineteen in our area. Um, I think. One of the things I would like to tell everybody is that Well uh, Wellstar and and all of the hospitals and uh, physicians up here uh, continue to care for all patients, and we've uh, compared to the rest of the state have done very well uh, with, with COVID nineteen. Uh, while we had a uh, the largest number of patients in late March and early April, that number has continued to decline. Uh, where uh, where we have you know very few uh, patients that are remaining in house at this point, and we are discharging about as many as we are admitting each day, uh, which is a really good sign uh, for the North Fulton area. I think that our our communities and our businesses did a great job of social distancing. Uh, I think people did a great job of wearing masks and washing their hands, uh, which are the two most important things. Uh, but I think it's important uh, to also point out that we are seeing a lot of patients at this time that have uh, have put off healthcare. And while that was appreciated early, uh, I think the message from all healthcare providers is that if you've been putting off healthcare, uh, now is the time to go and check in with your physician or your hospital 
wherever that is, uh, and make sure that you know you're you're being taken care of, especially if you have kind of chronic conditions uh, or have issues uh, such as such as heart disease or heart failure. It's really important to to get checked out because there are many many other disease states out there besides just COVID nineteen. Um, uh, so with that, um, I just uh, want to uh, want to thank everybody for reaching out during this time. I know it's been very, uh, very challenging for everybody, all businesses, um, including hospitals and physician practices. Uh, we really do appreciate uh, the support and the family that we uh, we received from from each of you, um, and thank you very much for that, both for the things that you sent the hospital, but also the, the warm greetings uh, and messages and thoughts that we received uh, throughout this time. Um, but we, we look forward to, to moving forward to the next chapter. So please get out, see your doctor. And um, we look forward to, to seeing you next month. Thank you, Alan. Good. Thank you, John Paul. And thank you again for your very significant investment in our community. We really appreciate Wellstar's significant investment and the tremendous support that you've given our chamber with this sponsorship and many others, particularly the 2020 Chamber Luncheon Series. Hopefully we're not too far away from being able to sit down and dine at the same table. And now it's my privilege to introduce today's presenting sponsor and our moderator for the program, Jim Teal of Goodwin Mills and Kaywood. Jim, please tell us a little bit about your company and why education is important to your organization. Jim Teal. Sure. Hey, thank you. We're so glad to be part of this. You know, this has become a tradition for us to be part of the May session, which is always focused on education. And we're so honored and, and we appreciate the support of the North Fulton Chamber and all you do for our community. Uh, Gill Mills and Kaywood is a roughly 500 person architecture and engineering firm throughout the southeast. Here in Georgia, our headquarters office for Georgia is here in Atlanta in Fulton County uh, in northern Sandy Springs. And, and we love being here. Uh, we focus on a, a myriad of things throughout the company, but K-12, the education component, is a huge part of our practice for numerous reasons. But I, I think probably most importantly, it's the opportunity to partner with the leaders, uh, different, different K-12 organizations, and create spaces. You know, no one student is alike, and the opportunity uh, to create a space that fosters education because these students are the future of our community. And uh, and that's just a passion for us and something we enjoy doing, which is why the K-12 and education sector of our practice has, uh, is really the majority of what we do. Uh, in addition to that, though, personally, living in Fulton and working in Fulton, I uh, just admire what the Fulton County school system is doing. I've had the opportunity to uh, interact with them personally, but then also their creative ways of reaching students, like the partnership with JA and what's happening at some of the different schools and, and reaching some of these students. So we just thank uh, everyone for what they're doing and, and allowing us to be a small part of it. But that's really enough about GMC because uh, today is about Dr. Looney and the Fulton County Schools. And Dr. Looney, thank you uh, for being with us. I'm, I'm honored to introduce him. Uh, Dr. Looney, previous to being at Fulton County, was with Williamson County Schools in Tennessee where in 2015, he was uh, named the Superintendent of the Year for Tennessee um, Organization of School Superintendents. Uh, in addition to that, he's somebody that I've been fortunate to know for some time, as well as numerous folks in our firm, and just a wonderful person who genuinely cares about the teams he works with and the students that he serves. Uh, Dr. Lenny, thank you again for being with us and uh, for your commitment to North Fulton. And 
uh, please, we'd love to turn it over to you for some of your thoughts and comments on, um, on Fulton County Schools, and then after your thoughts, we'll, we'll ask some questions that have been submitted to us uh, from participants today. Dr. Lenny. Thank you, Jim, and I, I just want to say we do appreciate the productive relationship we have with Google and Kwood. Uh, Y'all are a great business partner and, and do some wonderful design work here in Fulton, and as you know, in some of the previous districts I had the opportunity to serve in. So it's kind of fortuitous that um, when I joined here, y'all were already present. I do want to just begin by thanking our school board for their leadership. Um, the board over the course of the last several years has done a remarkable job in preparing and, and putting us in a position to be able to respond to any type of crisis, including COVID-19. And at this point in time, I understand we have three school board members on. And so I just want to thank them for their presence and, and, and recognize them. I believe board president for NAF is on. Uh, Mrs. Katie Reeves, and then also Gail, board member Gail Dean is on. So thank you for your presence today. I will just say um, I, I have been pleasantly surprised and, and, and honored to work with these ladies, um, all seven board members. Uh, they, they're focused. They have a good plan in place. And, and my job is to enact their plan and to try to keep uh, the car in the middle of the road. And I think in my first year of tenure, we've been able to do that for the for the most part, obviously, we've had a couple of surprises along the way, COVID-19 being the largest one. Um, as you know, Fulton County Schools was the first school district in the state to, to have to deal with COVID-19 when we had two employees in, in two separate schools uh, test positive. And, and at the time, everybody was still um, very anxious and didn't really understand what the implications were. So we very quickly, uh, with a board support, made a decision to close school. Uh, in order to uh, to assess where we are and to collect additional information. And then within two days of that, um, the rest of the state ended up closing down. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. I will say that um, because of our school board's leadership, we were in a position to turn on remote learning uh, rather quickly. Uh, it has not been a perfect process uh, because remote learning looks very differently than traditional face-to-face uh, -face instruction. But we were able to turn that on for a little bit more than 93,000 students with great success uh, and lots of lessons learned over the course of the last couple of months. So really, really proud of our leadership team, very proud of our, our teachers for leaning in. And I will say this, um, I, I have been so impressed with our, with our students and their families for adapting to this crisis. Not only have they continued to have to try to find how, how to work from home, but they also have uh, become teachers in the process. As I have talked to them, I have heard one resounding common theme, and that is teachers don't make enough money. <laughs> and so I, I would agree with that. But as you know, um, this is not the time to be talking about pay raises for anybody. We, we Fulton County Schools, just like everybody else, has been impacted negatively by the uh, economics of this crisis. And we're looking forward to, as quickly and as safely as possible, returning back to uh, some semblance of normality as we uh, move from this three-phased um, process of recovery, and that is closing down the school year and managing the current crisis. Um, I will say we have 30 employees slash students uh, that have tested positive in Fulton County Schools. That's up three from the previous week. Um, and so we too have been impacted uh, from a, on a personal level. We haven't had any, any employees uh, pass away at this point in time, but we have had immediate family members of uh, a numerous employees here pass. So we are grieving with the rest of the country and certainly our community as, as we navigate um, this. So we're, we're winding down the managing the crisis because the school year has 
ended now. We have two virtual graduations left to do, one tonight and one tomorrow. And then we will quickly transition to summer where we have rather quickly stood up uh, one of the largest summer training programs that we've had in this district's history and that we're going to have a summer session one that begins on June the 7th and lasts through June, July 15th. And then we'll have another one um, that, that uh, runs the month of July all the way to the end of the month uh, for the purpose of doing a couple of things. One, helping students make up some lost learning opportunities. And then two, to help those students that uh, haven't had the opportunity to, to make up some of um, the, the poor grades they had first semester or even going into the COVID crisis. And so we have a number of students registered. Uh, the summer one session is going to be remote learning at much in the same way that we've been doing for the past couple of months. Our intention at this point in time is to offer a blended version of summer school two, where students and teachers uh, at different periods of the day and time uh, come in in staggered schedules. And then finally, we are looking at how we reopen in the fall. I just do, I do want to just say this up front. We have every intention of starting the school year as scheduled according to our calendar. The real question at hand is what does school look like in the fall? And the reality of it is we don't know yet. There are too many uncertainties. We are aware of the fact that the CDC has issued some guidance to school districts about how to go about the process of reopening. Our experience has been that the CDC guidance has a tendency to change slightly over time. So we're not putting a lot of stock in the current guidance because we want to make sure that uh, we have uh, received the latest guidance before we make a final decision about what the fall looks like. We anticipate uh, the timeline for making that decision to be the first part of July. We think by then we will have gone through summer one. Social distancing standards will have been relaxed long enough for us to track and monitor what the data looks like. And, and then the board will be in a position to make a more informed decision. So we're planning three different strategies for the opening of school. Uh, strategy number one or scenario number one is a return to traditional school with the lessons that we've learned through COVID to be a more effective and, and better school district. But the, the, the main part about scenario one is that students would return to a traditional school day with traditional instruction. And we can unpack some of the changes that we're going to embed in, in that traditional school model because of the lessons that we've learned. Uh, but that's that's the, the big thing to remember. Uh, scenario number two would be if for some reason uh, we got guidance from the, the feds, the state government, or even because of local data here, we uh, were had a need um, to, to continue remote learning we're calling it Remote Learning 2.0, the, the new and improved version of what we're doing now. We'll be prepared to do that uh, to begin the, year, the school year if that is needed. We're hopeful that it's not needed, but we also recognize that there's a possibility of that. I will say that one of the things that we've been working on as a school district is uh, rethinking whether it has to be all schools doing the same thing or whether we should be managing uh, flare-ups of COVID-19 in specific school communities and allow the rest of our school community to continue traditional instruction. And then finally, and, and I suppose most complex, is the possibility or the notion of we continue uh, to have to meet social distancing standards of, of some sort, and it's still not safe for 
all students to return to school at the same time. We are preparing a, a blended version or a hybrid version of schooling and in that some students would come on specific days of the week. Uh, we've been talking about a 3-2 rotation, whereas if you think about the traditional school week, it's five days. If you, if you stretch that to a 10-day model, then you divided the students into two separate groups, group A and B. Then group A would come in week one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then in week two, go Tuesday and Thursday. And then group B on week one would go Tuesday, Thursday. And then the second, the second week, they would go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so that all students in our school district would at least go five out of every 10 days of instruction, with the exception being those students that have special needs that need additional instruction. Uh, we would build in more instructional days for them. We're going to be presenting the board with the details of all three of those scenarios at their June 9th meeting. We have already presented scenario one, which is essentially what we have done in the past with some improvements and some modifications. And uh, the team is continuing to work on scenario number two and scenario number three. And once again, we'll be presenting that to the board at the June 9th meeting in anticipation of a final decision about what school like looks like here in Fulton County in the beginning portion of July, perhaps even before the July 4th weekend. If not, then certainly immediately thereafter. Um, so a lot of things happening in Fulton County schools uh, were steeped in the planning process. And I will say all of that in light of the fact that we do have uh, an economic turn downturn that the school district is having to deal with as well. As you know, it's it's public information now. The, the, the governor's office and the legislature has indicated that we need to be prepared for a 14% reduction in revenues. And as you might suspect, many of our costs in school districts are fixed and not variable. And so um, unless we're going to lay off a mass amount of, of teachers, we don't anticipate a significant reduction in our expenses. We're just going to have to rethink how we do some things and, and tighten our belt in some ways. Um, the good news is this, and I'm, I'm being very sincere when I say this, our school board, uh, every since uh, the 2009 downturn of the recession, has required that we prepare for a day such as this. And so we are in a financially sound position and anticipate uh, being able to weather this storm uh, over the next 12 months. Obviously, if the economy takes some time to, to rebound, then we have to think about things differently. But we don't anticipate being in a position where we have to furlough or, or lay off uh, large numbers of people. There might be some ones and twos as we tighten our belt. but uh, for the most part, we're in a good financial position and expect to be able to weather uh, this uh, financial um, downturn in, in the near future. Um, with that being said, I, I would just love to answer any questions you have. I, I will say one of the questions that I did receive is what is the plan uh, for face protection? Uh, will, will students and employees be required to wear uh, face protection? And the answer is we will follow the CDC's guidance. If the CD says that students and employees should wear masks, then, then we will make sure that happens. At this point in time, the guidance is for employees to wear face uh, protective gear, and we are re currently requiring that. So if anybody that enters our facility as an employee has to wear a, a, a face a covering, uh, that is not the standard currently for guests and students. 
Uh, but that may very well be and end up being a standard in the fall. We just don't know yet. We have um, identified and secured um, a source for protective uh, equipment and have begun the purchasing process in large um, quantities for the fall. Jim? Wonderful. Well, hey, you touched on a lot of things that uh, the members and attendees uh, had submitted uh, relative to their questions, but uh, just a couple of things maybe to dig in a little bit deeper. And one is related to the reopening. I know you said you're going to make that decision in early uh, July and you've got several options. Um, one person asked, have you thought about delaying the start maybe till after Labor Day? Um, yes, we, we've had that conversation as a staff. The board hasn't engaged in that conversation. My perspective, um, and we're certainly open to a lot of input, is the sooner we return to normal, uh, the better off we're going to be. And from my perspective as a chief learning officer, it would be better for students to be engaged in remote learning formally rather than not learning at all and during the month of August. We recognize that while we've done on the whole a good job with our students, the fact of the matter is there is no replacement for additional or traditional classroom instruction with teachers. And our goal is to minimize the lost opportunities rather than to extend it. So we expect to begin the school year in some form or fashion as scheduled according to our calendar. Sure, wonderful. Um, someone else asked, uh, and, and you touched on a lot of the different organizations you've been in touch with, and uh, someone asked about the Secretary of Education. Have you been in touch with her and her department, and how is that interaction working? Well, we certainly uh, attempted to reach out to the U.S. Department of Education. I will tell you, um, our direct contact is generally is through the Georgia Department of Education and um, the uh, Superintendent Woods' office. And they're really good. The state uh, offices are really good at responding to our needs and, and being a buffer to, uh, you said, you said is typically just not a very responsive entity. And um, you know, so we, we use the state of Georgia to, to serve as that. I will sure. say, though, we, we do, as, as superintendents in the region, and I'm part of a couple of other organizations, a broader network of superintendents, we, we actually converse on a weekly basis, and we're sharing with each other ideas and strategies about what we're planning on doing and how we might be going about doing. And as you, as you might expect, um, we all have different considerations. And so as an example, I know we're very... In we're in close proximity to Forsyth County. And so what works in Forsyth, you know, isn't necessarily what will work in Fulton and vice versa. We have, I think, 10 times more cases of COVID that we're dealing with. and They don't have some of the density issues that we have to deal with. So while we're sharing um, our planning processes, we're not all in the same place as to how we might uh, best go about reopening. And a great example of that would be, uh, you may know this, the Georgia High School Athletic Association has indicated that beginning June 1, or now it decided to change it actually, it's June 8 now, um, athletic teams can begin working out. Our decision is to uh, wait another week until June 15th to turn that on so that we have a little bit more data coming in and uh, we bring back uh, athletes and our employees in the same week. Sure. Um that makes a lot of sense. The uh, Another person asked about the business component of this, and, and of course, the operations of Fulton County Schools uh, affects numerous uh, moms and dads, which in turn affects business owners and operators and such. 
Um, have you all thought about or, or is there any advisory group that's, um, that's made up of business, owner that, business owners that are working with the school system? The answer is yes. I meet with um, different stakeholder groups on a weekly basis. Uh, we have uh, uh, an advi superintendent's advisory committee that's made up of parents and community members. Uh, many of them are business owners. And so we, we get that feedback regularly. And I will say there's a lot of diversity and opinion about how we might best turn school back on, recognizing that everybody has a unique perspective and, uh, and personal experience as to how COVID has impacted them, both from a financial perspective, but also from a family perspective and, uh, and from a, a medical perspective. And so we're, I, I have a teacher advisory committee, I have a principal's advisory committee, parents advisory committee, a PTA advisory committee, and the board too is continuing to get feedback from a variety of folks. I have also been participating in conversations with the mayors on a weekly basis and our local delegation. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, another question about logistics related to transportation and uh, your thoughts and the system's thoughts on bus service and, and social distancing requirements and, and, and how you might do that. Do you have plans to continue that service and, and what have y'all thought about related to that? Uh, that's one of the most complex issues that we're dealing with, quite frankly. As you know, uh, this is actually actually a little bit ridiculous, but buses are designed for three students per seat. Uh, each bench on a school bus is 39, 39 inches long. And so if you do the math, uh, I believe that's 13 inches per rear end. That's not a lot of space, uh, especially <laughs> given the fact that we have a diverse population in size uh, and density. So we are struggling with how we might best provide safe bus service uh, for our students in the fall. Um, our buses hold between 68 and 72 students for the most part, and that's three to a seat. Um, we had a conversation this morning about uh, the possibility of requiring students to wear face coverings as they ride the bus. But that, too, presents some challenges. One, because our buses are not air-conditioned which means in the late summer uh, and spring, windows are going to go down um, and, and that presents you know, breathing challenges, et cetera. And so we're not sure yet how we're going to solve that. We have talked about moving to a, a, a four or five tier bus system, but that too creates challenges as it relates to um, picking students up and taking them home. One of the things that I'm confident of is where it is possible for students to walk and or bike bicycle to their school where there's safe passages as a school district, we need to be promoting that one uh, because it's good for, for children, but two, it would reduce the number of students that are, are riding on school buses. Sure. Um, now this question is related to grading and Dr. Looney, if this had, if I'd been in this situation, I'd be hard, lobbying hard for pass-fail grading, that would have been more advantageous to me and my academic prowess or lack thereof. But the question is, uh, <laughs> regarding... Were you a late bloomer, Jim? Uh, or some, my mom may be questioning if I'm ever going to bloom. But uh, I'm hanging in there, they haven't thrown me out yet. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could say that. Uh, regarding testing, grades were calculated based on earned grades in March. Based on the decision to return in the fall, do you have any thoughts on how grading will be handled uh, when you restart the school year? 
Well, it depends on which scenario that we find ourselves in. Uh, we obviously would like to return uh, to traditional grading. Uh, that's the board's policy. I will say that, uh, let me just kind of reframe exactly what we did this spring. And so the, the, the standard that we applied was that a student's grade could not go down uh, from where they were on March the 12th, the day where we closed schools. It could only go up or it would be incomplete if they didn't do the work. And so no student uh, in theory could be harmed from this experience. And we had multiple students whose grade, I mean, hundreds of students, thousands of students, frankly, whose grades went up as a result of COVID because they had the opportunity to improve their grade from where they were. The other group of students that we had, and, and it's a sizable number of students, um, who didn't engage in remote learning for whatever reason. Um, there was a lack of supervision. Um, there was not enough accountability. Perhaps we had employees that didn't uh, know, follow up enough with our students. We had students that didn't turn in their, uh, they didn't have internet access, so they were given uh, paper booklets and that they needed to complete, and they decided not to turn those in. For those students, uh, we gave them an incomplete grade assignment with the expectation that that incomplete has to be resolved. So it could be resolved in one of two ways. One is they could go to summer school and resolve their incomplete, or two, they would have to complete that work in the fall in addition to them taking additional classes. And so we intended to, and we continue to hold our students accountable for learning the material. Once again, because we wanna make sure that our students in Fulton are positioned in a, in, in, in a more advantageous position than uh, their counterparts in other school districts across the state and region. Sure. And uh, related to that and the student's ability, let's assume that uh, if there's a situation where they have to do some distance learning, if you will, uh, remote learning, what, uh, what are you all looking into? What's the school doing? The question is, uh, what's being done to mitigate inequity around technology access? How can we continue that into yeah. the future? It's a great question. So um, the board um, is, has approved um, for us to uh, buy additional devices. In fact, we've placed an order for 7,500 devices uh, to issue devices to all of our students in grades three through 12. And that is a change in our position uh, moving forward. Incidentally, we also renegotiated our contract with uh, Dell to get a less expensive device, more affordable device to help us with the, the price point per device. In addition, we have been seeking and in some cases have been successful and getting grants and private funding for mobile uh, hotspots. In fact, we received a, a grant uh, from the state of a little bit more than a million dollars to go to our high priority schools uh, and, and help provide those families with internet access. With that being said, we still have approximately 4,500 families who indicate they do not have internet access, and we continue to work on that uh, as we approach the fall. If if we have to turn on remote learning, either at the very beginning of the year for a short period of time, or if we have a flare-up in a school community, we may have to uh, go back to a remote learning environment temporarily until the flare-up stops. Uh, we are we. I would tell you that is another challenging area that we're facing. We don't want to be a utility provider as a school district, but we recognize that this work can't get done 
should we need to use remote learning as a strategy? And then I will add one other uh, piece of information. Um, the board and I have been discussing uh, the reality that we are going to have a subset of families, regardless of whether we can come back to traditional learning in the fall or not, that are going to say, no, thank you, because of fear, because of underlying medical conditions, they just don't, they're just going to take the position that we're not coming back. And so the question really becomes, well, who and how do those students get served? Certainly there will be a segment of that population that opts to go to private school. Uh, there are some public um, free online schools, but quite frankly, the quality of, the quality of those um, programs is not, um, doesn't meet our standards in Fulton County. So we are pursuing the idea of offering a small number of students uh, a continuation of remote learning using some of the facilities and resources that we currently have in place where it would not impact the overall proposed budget to the school district. Sure. Now, I got to tell you, I promise I did not submit this next question. So just wanted to be very clear, but I think it is a good question. And there's two questions that are kind of related to the same topic about the facilities and assuming you're coming back to the facilities at some point and the safety. And so the first question is, will Fulton County Schools be looking for their architects, interior designers and engineers to address design and engineering recommendations for methods of social separation in a K-12 education environment? Great question. So the answer is in the long term, yes. Uh, we believe that this experience um, is going to require us to rethink some of the ways that we do business moving forward, even when COVID, uh, the COVID crisis subsides. In the short term, uh, as you know, we have we have limited resources, and so we're going to do everything with that we can with people power and management first, and then more slowly and deliberately look at what kinds of changes long term we should be thinking about as relates to our facilities. And I'll give you some of the examples that I've been using with our school leaders. Uh, it is a mainstay in, uh, in schools across America where every Friday afternoon, the school assembles all their students into the gym and has a pep rally before the Friday night football game. And, and that builds camaraderie and school spirit and it's, it's, it's good for culture. But the question is, does it make sense from a health and safety standpoint to put 2000 students in a gym, all of them sweating and yelling at the top of their lungs for their home team. When the potential of some of those students uh, having a virus, whether it's COVID or the flu and, and passing along. So we're looking at this from a management perspective first, how do we rethink the way that we go about business? Another example that I will give you is uh, the lunchrooms. You know, we put, we put hundreds and hundreds of students in the lunchroom at one time uh, for, for, ec for economy and for efficiency, but does it really make sense for us to put that many students in a cafeteria sitting elbow to elbow? And so we're, we're talking about strategies. How do some of the students eat in the cafeteria at one point in time, and how does another group of students eat in their rooms during that same point in time, and then have a rotation where they get the opportunity to eat in the cafeteria versus eating in the room? So where we looking at examining all those things, bell schedules, how we uh, take students by groups to restrooms. We're also reconsidering how we do cleaning. Most of our janitorial services happen in the evening after students leave, but we know now that we have to do more lifting during the, during the instructional day when our students are present. 
And so we'll never be able to hire enough custodians and or janitorial staff to do that. So everybody is going to have to pitch in. Uh, teachers wiping down doorknobs in between class periods and perhaps having volunteers coming in and quickly wiping off the student desks in between class periods. So we're going to be rethinking all those things from a human uh, power standpoint. Uh, but in the long term, we are going to have to reconsider um, how, how we build and how we modify our school grounds. Any retail outlet or place of business that you go to these days go to the point of sale most of them have plexiglass uh, you know dividers between the customer and the attendant we're not to that point yet but we are looking at um, how do we separate our customers interaction with our employees interaction to minimize exposure sure sure i think uh we'll go address maybe three more questions if that's all right uh, yes, sir. with the first of First of those three being uh, related to the higher education and those partnerships. And the question is, how can our higher education partnerships continue to support and move students forward with future educational goals during this time? Great question. We actually have a really good relationship, productive relationship with our higher ed institutions. We have thousands of students that participate in dual enrollment. And, and what happens with dual enrollment is many of those students leave our campus and go to this post-secondary institution. Um, I think the challenge for them is, are they as nimble as the district has been in being able to turn on remote learning for college-aged or college-going students, whether they're still in high school and college at the same time or not? And so, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but we, we will continue to have students enrolled in dual enrollment programs where they're leaving our campuses and going to post-secondary institutions. And to a institution, they have all reached out and been willing and, and expressed a desire to continue the partnership with us. Wonderful. Um, what have you and your leaders learned through all this? I know you've touched on a myriad of things that y'all are doing and you're, I know, learning every day, but is there a couple of uh, high level things that uh, that really come to mind of, of what you have learned from this and, and anything in particular, the question goes on about what you might expect to change. And you've already outlined a lot of things that have probably changed, but are there any are there one or two real lessons learned from this already for you? Or well, your for team? me personally, working from home stinks. Uh, I would rather, <laughs> I'd rather be with all my team. Um, so, you know, I, we've learned so many things. We, you know, I think this is, if there's any positive thing that comes from this, it's giving it's given us a window of it's forced us to look how can we do work differently and be more effective with our students and so a case in point um, when we tracked how many students were contacting us for help with technology from home what we learned is our students didn't have enough practice in using the devices that we already had in school on a regular basis to make that a seamless transition uh, the most calls that we received is I don't know my password. And so that's an indication of we have to build into the traditional school day, uh, uh, you know, this practice of using technology as a learning tool so that if we have to go in and out, which is what my suspicion is, is we're going to have to go in and out at different periods of time and, and possibly in segments of our school community or possibly the whole school community uh, as this, as this uh, ebb and flow of this crisis, uh, proceeds until there's a vaccination. So we, we have to make this a seamless process for our students. And that requires more training and learning on behalf of our teachers. 
We have a wonderful teaching force, uh, some with one year of experience and some with 50 years of experience. And getting all of those uh, team members together and teaching them to use the tools in an effective and efficient way is critically important for our students. Sure, wonderful. Dr. Lane, I agree with you on the um, uh, work from home uh, is not as much fun. I, I have learned that I need to work harder so I can afford a beach or a lake house. I'm jealous of those that work from home from there. That's a pretty nice setting. Um, well, interestingly enough, question, I'll, just, I'll just add real interestingly enough, I think we're actually working more hours from home uh, than we do when we actually go to work. Don't you think that, Jim? It seems that I, way to me. Yeah. I'd take I'm more mentally strained in a day after being on the phone and video chats all day. It's interesting. Hey, the North Fulton community is a very giving and supportive uh, group of folks, and, and especially from the business community. And, and a lot of folks want to know, how can, how can this community, how can businesses help and support Fulton County Schools? And are there any technology needs, donations? What can the, any thoughts on what the community, business community can do to support you and your team? Thank you, Jim. And the answer is yes, absolutely. And, and so I've had a couple of conversations with some some uh, church leaders. Uh, we have in North Fulton, we have about 2,500 families without Internet access. And so, wow. you know, we we have to continue to solve um, for those families that don't have ac access. And while printing paper packets for students to engage in is is work, it's not the same type of work. It's not the same quality work that we can give from remote learning. So whether it's sponsoring 10 families, uh, you know, for wireless access for a school year or first semester or hundred, or whether our corporate partners want to lean in and provide that kind of access, the district has solved for uh, the, the hardware, the computers. We're going to furnish those to our families. But we we are, we're not in a position to do that and to provide hotspots for our families. And I was I was stunned when I found that number out. Um, and so yes, that's um, and and in our in our high poverty schools, quite frankly, we can leverage some of the federal dollars that we receive for that purpose. Sure. But many of our schools in the northern part of our county don't qualify for those federal dollars. They don't have the the flexibility to use um, other funding for it. Well, hey, I uh, look forward to I'm sure there'll be a lot of groups who are looking to help with that, and I'm sure we'll look into it in any way we can support. We'll be honored to. Dr. Lenny, thank you, as always. Uh, thank you for your transparency, your honesty, uh, and your leadership. Um, I know I personally gained a lot from today, and I'm sure others on this did, and, and your time is very valuable, and we appreciate you giving that time and all you're doing for the, for the students and, and the district. Uh, with that, Callie, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Jim. You did a great job today. I appreciate it so much. I want to echo your sentiments thanking Dr. Looney for his time today. I know, as you mentioned, we have three school board members on, and I want to thank them for their time and all they've been doing. Um, we are definitely in an ever-changing environment, and so we appreciate you updating the business community on what's going on as well. I also want to thank our sponsors. Uh, thank you to John Paul and Wellstar Health Systems for continuing their Chamber Luncheon Series sponsorship as well as Jim and all the good folks at Goodwin Mills and Kaywood. Jim Teal, you did a great job as moderator. Thank you for serving in that way today. Thank um, you. Also want to thank John Ray, who is on. Um, our media sponsor today is John Ray and Business Radio X. So, John, thank you for 
we're taking this to the next level and offering it for anybody who's interested. You can find it on our website um, and we will send that out with the link for you after. We do have several great events coming up um, and continue to do those virtually. So please keep checking our chamber website at gnfcc.com. And as a personal point of privilege, I want to remind everyone that we have the Leadership North Fulton deadline coming up next Monday, June 1st. And we really want that to be a wonderful class. What a great time to learn leadership skills in the middle of all of this going on. There's no better time to to learn how to lead in a crisis. So uh, thank you all very much for joining us today. We hope you have a great week. Thank you.